We will be in Romans 13 this morning. I was enthusiastic about all of this new electronic equipment we were getting and probably wouldn't have been as enthusiastic if I knew they were going to hang it on my ear on Sunday morning. <laughs> Romans 13, and we're going to, going to back up a little bit in verse 5. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Every once in a while we come to a place in Scripture and uh, we look around, we think a little bit, and uh, we think, uh, God, are you sure you didn't make a mistake here? Or maybe looking around in our country today and what's happening in leadership, etc., Lord, are you sure this is what you meant? Or maybe we should do like W.C. Fields and see if we can't find uh, some way out of this, some uh, different meaning behind these words. Uh, or as uh, W.C. Fields said, looking for loopholes. Uh, We'd sure like to find one when it comes to a passage like this and with what we're experiencing, but in truth, uh, this is a truth here, and our Lord does want us to believe it, and he does want us to follow through on what he has written here. We need to be reminded and encouraged by what God expects of his children regardless of what we think he should have said. With this, out of a commentary, I quote, Frequently Christians try to rationalize their infidelity to the state by saying that Paul simply could not understand what it meant to live in such a corrupt society as we do. We must remember, however, that as Paul wrote these words, he was living under the reign of the wicked emperor Nero. Nero's mother, Agrippina, sister of Emperor Caligula, who killed and tortured thousands for pleasure, had Nero's stepfather assassinated with a dish of poisoned mushrooms. Nero himself killed his stepbrother, Britannicus, when the boy was just 14 years old. Later, when he feared that his mother would attempt to exercise the power of the throne, Nero killed her as well. He banished his first wife, Octavia, to an island and had her killed. She Still later, he slew his second wife, Papea, 
In light of these facts, if Paul can so tenaciously hold that the believer should be subject to the higher powers, the 20th century believer must be very careful not to jump to the conclusion that he should not be subject to the present-day powers. And I totally agree. Again, we need to look at what Paul was under as he penned these words. It's interesting in our passage this morning, we see in verse 5, therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. We see in Scripture, conscience referred to quite often, a good conscience. 1 John three twenty one and 22, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. If our heart does not condemn us, we have a good conscience. John is revealing a principle here that we need to take to heart. When we have confidence in God, we'll be walking by faith and will not feel condemnation in our hearts. You know, principle, as a pastor for years and a lot of counseling and things and you know um, why are you feeling the way you're feeling because you're outside of the truth of God's word and we and you feel condemned when we feel condemned something is out of whack with our faith Um, (laughs) I think most of us at least when our taxes are a little more complicated, we have these feelings come in. Temptations of, okay, maybe hiding this or not claiming that or whatever, and uh, those feelings come in, uh, that's not what God wants. Next we see a believer out of the will of God, 1 John chapter 3, 18-20. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So again, don't live your life in word or in tongue. Um, just words, empty words. Uh, so much of Christianity, and maybe in our own life, where we at a time where that's where we were, it was more of what we said than what we lived out uh, in the faith of uh, of our Lord. Here, John gives us a picture of someone who gives lip service to God and feeling be condemned because of it. When we're babes and immature, we don't like the fact that God knows all things. (laughs) I know about you, but I can think back in my life, that was not a happy thought. (laughs) Then we see the lowest state of a person refusing to live by faith, Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There are those who believe 
that have the cauterized or hardened conscience pertains only to the lost. But from experience alone, I don't believe that. Certainly the lost, Ephesians four seventeen through 19, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Right, so obviously he's talking about the lost, alienated from the life of God. But Paul's words here that you should no longer walk says what to us? It indicates that it's still possible even for the Christian to have his conscience seared or hardened against the truth. Verse Timothy 4 and verse One and two, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Seared with a hot iron, the hot iron could be translated branding iron, our word for cauterize, a person's heart becomes more and more hardened until he is finally past feeling, as we saw in verse 18. This doesn't seem possible, but I know men in leadership where this seems to be a reality. Their words, their lives, using Christ's name even, and yet so against or opposite of the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to study conscience a little bit. It's made of two words from the Greek, con and science, literally with knowledge, with knowledge. When a person does, does something with knowledge, what he is doing it is according to his conscience. When he does something wrong, he goes against himself and against God. So we need to stop and ask some questions here, shouldn't we? Is conscience a safe guide? Is our conscience a safe guide? Like, was it Jiminy Cricket? Be let your conscience be your guide? Can anyone, Christian or non-Christian, live by the dictates of his conscience? What is the New Testament word for it? And we're going to look at that. And what is God teaching in Romans 13? The Greek word is used 32 times in the New Testament. The best authorities show that this word was not used in classical Greek in the sense of conscience as we know it. The word would seem, therefore, to have been used by Paul into a new and deeper connotation and to have been used by him in our modern sense. So Paul took it deeper and used it in that way. The word is used 18 times as a man's awareness of right and wrong. John 8, 9. 
Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And this story, of course, is one of the woman taken in adultery, and it seems like every man that condemned him, her, what we pick up out of this is that they were guilty of the same crime. Their conscience were pricked. The other 14 times the word is modified by an object, ad, adjective. We read six times of a good conscience, three times of a weak conscience, twice of a pure conscience, and of a seared, defiled, or evil conscience. We as Christians know the origin of conscience in the uh, chapter that we read this morning. Always a good place to be reminded of from time to time. As we stated often, Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are the most attacked scripture in the Bible. If Satan can undermine that, he's got us in the rest of the Bible. You can't believe here. Why should you believe any of it? And that's why uh, so many teach it as fables, fairy tales, what have you. We, as the Lord's children, know it to be the truth and know it that we need to know what took place back there. So we find Satan suggesting to Eve that if she would disobey God, she would become like God, knowing good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil then became part of the curse. We need to think of their mental attitude before they cast off confidence in God and accepted the right to choose. This is what's hard for us to grasp, so many things. Completely innocent. <laughs> Completely innocent. Uh, that's what they were. They, they both were. This is why they had a relationship with God. They were, it was based on innocence. They were innocent. Our innocence disappeared real young in our lives. We have a little problem <laughs> relating here. Uh, they were innocent, hard for us to understand, but they know nothing about evil and had not thought of making choices. Never crossed their mind. They didn't need to. Uh, think in any other way. Perfect environment. Adam had a perfect wife. Eve had a perfect husband. No evil. Just a perfect place to live in every single way. From God, they knew only love and trust. And one of the most precious verses in the Bible, I think, is God walked in the garden in the coolness of the day, and we can take from that to spend time with Adam and Eve, but that lasted so briefly that we seldom focus on that part, uh, and he finds, well, <laughs> they, they uh, reveal that they've sinned. When God told them not to eat of the fruit, there was no antagonism, as we have when there's a law that goes contrary to our wills. We all relate to this. Mom and Dad give us laws, and we didn't like them. 
It was antagonism because we don't like that law. All right, one of the things that uh, growing up, we knew quite a number of people with barns, and barns are fascinating to little boys. And the first thing we would hear is, don't go in the barn. <laughs> so we would go north, circle around, and come up behind the barn and go in the barn. <laughs> uh, that's what we do. And this wasn't there, not at all. They believed this loving God, and that wasn't in their mind. In Eden, all was well between Adam and Eve with God. God had planned that man made in his image and likeness should be like him in nature. The only way to accomplish was for man to submit utterly to God. And again, in innocence, he had no problem with that whatsoever. The command not to eat the fruit was accepted by them without question. Whenever they passed the tree, they probably thought, we may not eat this fruit. Um, our loving God has told us not to, and we know that he loves us, and he knows that's best for us, and there we are. Then Satan enters. God is keeping something good from you. Eat this fruit, and you will be like God's. Knowing good and evil. Before accepting this proposition, they must have reasoned that God did not love them as much as they thought he did and did not desire their best interests. Planted that seed of doubt. Leaving Satan, they ceased to trust God and lost fellowship with him. Believing Satan, they ceased to trust God and lost fellowship with him. And this is what's so important. See how simple that is? See how easy that is to understand? They cease to trust God. Anytime you and I, as Christians, cease to trust God, we lose fellowship with him. He doesn't move. We've moved. We've gone in a different direction. We've gone down a different path. This is why biblical counseling is so easy. <laughs> Are you walking down the path of righteousness toward God, trusting him, believing him, even Romans 13? Or have you gone your own direction and ended up in the mess you're in, if you will? This was the first sin. The second sin was disobedience. The consequence was the curse of conscience. So next, we must look at the freedom, look at freedom of choice and the will. The true nature of choice is brought out in Joshua's parting advice to the children of Israel. After recounting their history, Joshua said in Joshua 24, 14, and 15, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And notice what he says here. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river 
or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is saying serve the Lord or either of two groups of false gods because that's what we do. We either serve him, we trust him, or we trust in other gods, even that of our own selves. God intended man to live by trusting him instead of making his own choices. He didn't need to make choices in Eden. He had every single thing that he needed, more than we can imagine. When man acquired freedom of choice, he acquired a curse. True freedom is in trusting God, which results in serving him. And here again, I want to emphasize this too often, Pastors, preachers, even commentaries put the cart before the horse. They like the serving end. We like the serving end. But serving comes from trusting. I trust God, therefore I want to be in his will. This is made clear, very clear in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. The trust comes first. First thing it said is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. And then acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And uh, it's today directs our paths in the work that he has prepared for us. And it's interesting, three, four weeks ago, I knew I needed to go back to Florida. I had some physical work to do down there. I didn't like the mess that we had not finished when I went down with the boys. But I felt there was more than that. And indeed, there was. There's a lot more. And uh, part of it was I got to give three messages in Kentucky in Jeff Bertram's church on family. Always a joy for me, but there were other things that went on that I'm not free to discuss that uh, the Lord told me I was there for a different purpose than what I had thought. We trust the Lord, and he directs our path. The necessity of choosing makes men schizophrenics. Man is constructed in a way that he has peace and joy only when he follows God in all things. <laughs> Again, that simplicity of biblical counseling. You want peace and joy in your life? Trust God. Uh, very simple. <laughs> and uh, we can go further and find out what, where you're not trusting, but uh, if you want peace and your joy, uh, when we follow God in all things. The moment he turns away from God, he's faced with the responsibility of choice. I have to make up my mind now which way I want to go, what I want to follow. <clears throat> here's the true nature of free will, and here's the true nature of conscience. When the will submits to God in loving trust and willing service, all is well, and the will is free, for God is making the choices. When the heart turns away from complete trust in God, it immediately is in the desperate state of free will, which is nothing more or less than a choice between evils. 
I don't want God. All I got left is evil. And here again, we have to remember that basic fact that we all have trouble with. The Lord Jesus Christ said, only God is good. That means what? When we are not in the will of God, we're in evil. It doesn't matter what it is, how small, how big. It's evil. See, we don't like that. That sin, we can kind of neutralize that after a while, get used to that. But no, it's evil. Like Joshua stated, which evil gods will you follow? Free will will does not involve choosing God. Having departed from God, it becomes its own tyrant living for self. And we see this everywhere, and we've been in our lives. We don't reach maturity overnight, and then we still have our weaknesses. And uh, But the extent of, you know, in traveling... Uh, they're not the same feel that I felt years ago. Uh, you always have to be aware of what's going on around you. And uh, sometimes I don't stop for gas because of where I am and uh, what time of night it is. <laughs> uh, I make sure I have gas before there, don't get me wrong, I don't empty it. <laughs> but, yeah. So when is conscience reliable? Conscience since the fall is our property, but even after the fall, all would have been well if man had turned back to God. The conscience may be like to a sundial, or if it is set up right, the sun on a sundial will tell you what time of the day it is. The moonlight won't tell you that. Moonlight on a good bright night can still cast a shadow, but it won't be the right time. Uh, Maybe once during the night, I don't know. But anyway, or you can take a flashlight and make it, you know, what time is it, Grandpa? What time do you want it to be? <laughs> uh, but uh, so conscience, which man took from Satan, can be a safe guide only when it turns towards only when it turns towards our God for illumination. Once a person turns away his conscience from God and lets some other light shine upon it, his conscience is no longer reliable. The decisions that must be made by regenerated man made or person made alive uh, through Christ. The Holy Spirit turns us back to God through Christ. And this is why, in my mind, the most evil thing in the church is legalism. Legalism. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to follow the Mosaic law. You have to follow church law. It doesn't have to be out of the Bible. It can be laws we make ourselves. The Spirit of God won't work there. He won't work there. So he has to be free in our lives as we turn to the Lord in truth and live in his grace And he turns us back to God through Christ. Through his word, the Holy Spirit shines its truth into our hearts and leads us to moment-by-moment submission to God. When we are saved, we learn that God is good, that he loves us and is favorable toward us. 
at the same moment, moment that new life is planted within us, we begin to learn the lesson that this is true of no other God. We also begin to learn the harder lesson that we are not good, that self-love is wicked and not for our good, and that we are not favorable toward our redeemed selves. I talk a lot about Dan Walgast before Christ, the things that I talk about and the way I felt and the evil in my life and things like that. I didn't. I wouldn't have talked like that before I was saved. I wouldn't admit to it. I wouldn't look at him. Didn't see him the same way. <clears throat> so, do you love and trust God? The individual must look to God and live by trusting Him. Do you love and trust Him? The answer to this question will settle the problem of your relationship to civil authorities, draft board, and military powers. All of these things. Do you love and trust God? The answer to this question will decide your attitude with reference to race relations. It will relieve the tensions in your own home life and solve any and all your problems. Um, Here again, biblical counseling. (laughs) If you want the problem solved, Jesus Christ is the answer. Uh, Will he solve them instantaneously? No, not always, sometimes but he's still the answer. The solution to a problem always comes when the choice must be made. Isaiah thirty twenty one, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, look to God and he will prove his promise. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. It is then that I will have a good conscience. A good conscience. Acts 23.1 Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. 1 Timothy 1.5 Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. 1 Timothy 1.19, having faith in a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. A pure conscience, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. A conscience void of offense, Acts 24.16. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Once we determine to love God and trust Him, we're in the place of blessing. Choose you this day which of many lesser things you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and let Him do the choosing for us. This, again, is, you know, I spend a lot of time putting people at ease, especially if they've been put pressure on that they need to be doing this or be doing that. Um, God didn't call me to the pastor until I was free in his grace. He showed me very clearly that he had gifted me as pastor-teacher, and this was my, his will for me. Completely comfortable, completely at rest. 
And if you knew Dan Walgast before that, you know there's no way in the world. Same with BBI. That's where he directed my steps. I didn't. But I was learning to trust him. And Dan, this is where I'm going to use you. This is where I want you. After I was there, then I realized that's what was his will. Don't protest that. After all, we must be practical. To love and trust God is the only course that is practical. It really works even in the obligation of our country. <clears throat> and this brings us back to our passage, uh, Romans thirteen seven. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Church and state are totally separate, and yet believers in Christ who make up the church are to recognize that God and the state are never to be separate, and that we have a Christian obligation toward the state. We must be willing to appreciate the benefits that we derive from government and be willing to pay the cost for them. In Judges 17.6 and in 21.25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We depend on government for peace and order. If we went three days, everyone being able to do his own will, we wouldn't believe the chaos. Well, you and I probably would. That would take place. I can do anything I want for three days. And uh, we have our policeman over here and... Uh, hard to keep that in just a few minutes, isn't it, Doug? To peace and in order. Presently, of course, we've seen firsthand what happens when local governments force their police to stand down and allow people to do whatever they want, and we've seen it. It is difficult today, but the peace and order which we enjoy, we owe to our civil government. Our lives are preserved from injury and our property from theft and violence through its protection. God tells us to pay the cost of this protection. Now, it isn't perfect. We're not living in a perfect world, and we're not uh, governed by perfect people. But for the most part, it is there. Um, One commentator writes, in these days when there is so little respect for authority, so much a juvenile delinquency, so many gangs and much crime, we should ponder the fact that the authorities who govern us, who receive taxes and respect and honor, are called ministers of God. Their ministry is not in the sphere of religion, but in the sphere of government. When we understand this, we see the proper relationship of church and state. Two errors must be avoided domination by the church over the state and domination by the state over the church. The first error obtains in countries where religion holds sway over the civil government, as Colombia and South America uh, once did. I'm not sure it still does. Second, under such philosophies as fascism and communism. It should be noted that even the Reformation was not wholly free from these errors. Calvin established a state in Geneva, merging civil with religious power, and his folly led to burning a man alive. The church is not to reform society 
but to witness against it. The true Christian ethic demands total allegiance to God through the Lord Jesus Christ and yieldedness to civil government within its proper jurisdiction. And again, within its proper jurisdiction, not to call us to evil. Tertullus set the tone for believers when he said in Acts 24, 2 and 3, And when he threw you, we enjoyed great, when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity as being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Thankfulness. Now those who live under a democracy as much obligated as those who live under any type of government. The American Christian must pay taxes to his government. The English Christian, when the Labor Party is in power, must pay taxes to a socialist government. Chinese Christians must pay taxes to the communist government. God has decided that. Again, when the text was written, Nero was the the Caesar they had to pay taxes to. So we give thanks, because God says to give thanks in all things and pay our taxes. <laughs> Thankfully, we do have a voice in our country, and we need to use that when they're misusing our taxes. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of things. Again, uh, when law enforcement, uh, our firemen, our authorities that uh, protect us, and sometimes simple things, um, Back even, what, 70 years ago, for me to go to Florida would have took days. Now it's, you can make it down there in two, um, well, excuse me, weeks. <laughs> it would have taken. And uh, now, you know, just again, it's easy. The roads are good. And uh, <clears throat> Kentucky, where Bethel Bible is, uh, it's all hilly country, and uh, it's 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 funny to drive and fun to drive. Although my wife would disagree with part of that, uh, it's just all switchbacks up and down and curve in every which way. And uh, the roads, for the most part, because of the country, are not wide enough for two cars. You, one or the other vehicle has to stop, whoever is in a place where he can turn out. And sometimes you can't. And uh, one, I, I think it's a road. We went down it. But it's so steep that Pastor Bertram actually started to tip over backwards with a load of logs that he had. <laughs> Thankfully, he just had his brakes adjusted he could stop and ease it back down the way it belonged and went on up the hill. But you know, in this country, with limited population and everything, all of those roads now are paved, even though they're not very big, even though they can't be very big. And they're all paved, and I know the people there are real thankful for that, those that where they were dirt roads not very long ago. So there's a lot of things that we can be thankful for as we... Um, Pay taxes. Respect, 
respect is another thing that's important. And uh, uh, the, this principle which applies in the state and the church should apply all in life. The Christian must be respectful to those who are older. The employee must give due respect to the employer. If you accept wages from a man, you must give him faithful service. If your employer is an impersonal company, there are nevertheless very personal men in the various graduations from the chairman of the board to office manager or foreman. The Christian may be subordinate but never servile. The fact that we belong to Christ gives, us high, gives high quality to our being. We may have great respect when we are yielded to Christ and therefore are good citizens. We respect those who have been placed in life above us, whether in business, government, or the church. We have respect for the office and therefore honor those who hold the offices. In turn, we look with frankness at all who are our equals in position and with dignity on those from whom we may command respect by the efficiency of our work and the fairness of our dealings. And this, Jeff Bertram has a sawmill and a, and a crew of men, and I saw this in a really neat way when he introduced me to them, seven or eight men, he said, these are the solidest men you will ever meet. These guys are great. And uh, I thought, wow, what a blessing and how that must have lifted them. <clears throat> So there's one primary reason for all of us, all of which we looked at today, and that is that we magnify the Lord Jesus Christ in all that we say and do. And when it comes to subjecting ourselves to the governing authorities, my Father has said so, therefore I do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time in your word. Uh, Father, uh, as we looked at your word this morning, we do think of our authorities, uh, people in power today, and we do pray for them. Father, we know their greatest need is to know you and to look to you alone to enlighten them and guide and direct their paths. And we do pray for them. We pray, Father, for our uh, family here, uh, again, the need for each one, and just thank you for them. Thank you for the family that you've given us. As we praise you in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus, amen.